Hi, everyone. This is Ron Tugnut. You're listening to Third Line Plug, Sendcast. All right, good to go. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? Pretty good. It's not absolutely freezing in Calgary for once, which is amazing. Yeah, what's the temperature at in Calgary this week? About five degrees. Yeah, I think it's about... Let's see what we got here. Because I think the high for today was, yeah, it's like five degrees out there right now. And it looks like it'll be about that for the rest of the week. That's solid. So uh, that solid. giant pile of snow in my backyard is gone. For now. For now. Yeah. Because you know March could be very unpredictable. It'd just be like, it might be spring, it might be snowing. We do not know yet. It'll probably be both. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah, I can better make sure my eaves are un- unblocked yeah you might want to might want to get to that later on today but we are in the middle of a very very exciting episode of third line plug sense casting because we've got a fully loaded episode we've got four games news to talk about unfortunately we do have to talk about something quite serious uh, to start off this episode regarding our cover athlete because this week's episode was supposed to be on the best sense team of all time, which the 1926-27 Ottawa Senators would win that poll. However, with the tragic news on Thursday, February 25th, that Brian Frazier lost his battle with leukemia, we figured that it was only fair and only right to name Brian Brian Frazier our cover athlete for Season 4, Episode 7, in chronological order, Episode 84. So, for those who don't know who Brian Frazier was, he was a technical producer at 580 CFRA in Ottawa, and he had been battling leukemia for two years when he had passed away this Thursday. So, yeah. Like, it's a really young guy, and he was a really big part of Sun's Twitter as well, and uh, the outpouring that of support that came up out for him along the whole battle and even especially at the end was it's what you love to see in a community really and it's funny because i know that when we had stuntman stew on and one of the things we talked about with him was how tight-knit the sense community really is especially when it comes to things like with jonathan petra passing away with brian murray with stew himself brian was no different i know stew and brian were very close given they had both battled leukemia I know for myself, and I can't speak for you, I know for myself, I had a very, very limited interaction with Brian on social media. I obviously knew who he was because he is, you know, he was a big Sens, not a blogger, but he would tweet about the Sens, he talked about the Ottawa Red Blacks of the CFL, just a very positive guy on social media, and I can't even, like, I can't even imagine how the Frazier family must be feeling right now, even though Brian did forego chemo for the second time with his leukemia it's just like i can't imagine like the guy was 26 years old like he's younger than us and i know he well up... it's 
the guy was cut down in his prime. And yeah, like the fact of the matter was was there was almost no point in him to do chemo the second time. So yeah, it's uh, our condolences to the family and uh, thank. Honestly, uh, all the folks who put money on the board, uh, money on the board Saturday for Canada Blood Services, God bless you. Absolutely, and you know, and that includes ex Ottawa Senators as well, including Bobby Ryan and Mark Mathot. And you know, like I'm almost at a loss for words to really know what to say about Brian because, again, like we didn't have much interaction with him. I know when he announced on Twitter that he was foregoing chemotherapy was right before our fourth season started. So I reached out to him on Twitter and I said, Hey, listen, Brian, I explained who I was, what we were doing with the podcast. And I also told him about our charity donation. And I told him, I says, well, listen, we're having our fourth season coming up. Is there any charity you would like us to donate to in your honor? And he says the Canadian blood services. So we are going to be absolutely honoring that for him. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, it's weird, like, I'm almost emotional talking about it, even though I had very little interaction with it. But the fact is that, you know, the Senators honored them the other day during practice. They had their sticker on the back of the helmets. Just the entire city of Ottawa and the Sens community is just that they're absolutely lost for words when it comes mm-hmm. to Brian Frazier. Well, it's just a 26-year-old guy dead due to cancer. Is uh, It's a tragedy, really. Like, just seeing someone cut down their prime. Again, so, you're absolutely right, Tim. Like, condolences to the Frazier family. Rest in peace, Brian. And hopefully one day that you'll be looking down when the Sens are hosting the Stanley Cup. For sure, Matt. So, Tim, we got to talk about next week's cover athlete poll because next week's cover athlete for Season 4, Episode 8, in chronological order, Episode 85, is Vitaly... Abramoff. It's kind of sad when we don't get to have a poll, eh? It is. But you know what? Just looking through what we're going to be talking about here, like, we're going to cover at least the next couple of weeks, like, we don't have a cover athlete poll at all. Because next week's going to be Vitaly Abramoff, episode 86 is going to be Christian Milanen, and as I mentioned about the 26-27 Ottawa Senators for episode 87, that's when we were honor them. And I have a very fun idea in my head. Which uh-huh. I'm not going to spoil for the listeners right now, right here. So you got to wait another couple of weeks until you hear the episode. Does this mean I'm going to have to wait a couple of weeks to find out what you're doing? Oh, no. No, Tim. You're going to hear it eventually later on tonight. Uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So, Tim, with all that being said, i got to ask the all-important question that I know everybody from coast to coast has wanted to know. How has your week been going? Honestly, pretty good. Uh, mostly just meeting stuff uh, at work. Yeah, just work stuff and uh, playing card games. Not a busy week, to be perfectly honest. Uh, did get a good hand to send Sickos posting in, and we'll be talking about that later in the episode. Oh, man. The send sicko stuff. That is so much fun. I'm so happy that this is a thing because, you know, as we've seen over the last decade or so, send social media when it comes to these side of these kind of things – they take it and they run with it. Whether it would be the Pesky Sens, the Hamburglar run, 2017, and now with Pesky, not Pesky Sens, but now with Sensicos, like, this is just fun. This is oh, so yeah. much fun. And I don't know if you are a fan or you're a follower of the Simpsons Bork posting page on Facebook at all. Yeah. Yours truly got a Sensico post 
approved by the admin of that oh, page. Fantastic. Yeah, so basically, if you remember, I think the episode of The Simpsons is Boy Scouts in the Hood, where Bart goes on a bender, and he ends up joining the Boy Scouts, and him and Homer have to do the, the raft trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you remember the one scene where they're watching Itchy and Scratchy, and they're using a pocket knife, and Bart's like, well, that's not how you use it, and Lisa's like, oh, Bart, cartoons don't have to be 100% realistic, and like you see a shot of Homer walking along the window, even though he's sitting on the couch. I took those two frames and I put the send sicko face over the first Homer walking across. Perfect. It was so much fun and I could not believe that got approved. I was just oh, like, fun stuff, fun oh, stuff, that dude. is so much fun. That's so awesome. So I got so, I know it's so great, man. It's so good. I'll have to show you that later on because it was so much fun. I'll just throw it up on your, throw it up on the page too, eh? Like, on the Twitter page? You oh, I might have to. I think I already have. I think I already have, if I'm not mistaken. E either that or my, my own. I can't remember. But yeah, yeah. while we're doing that, Tim, I guess I'll talk a little bit about my week. Because, you know, and I think I've, you know, obviously I've mentioned here that I, I work in a school. So, basically, we work with the kitchen staff and whatever. So, with COVID-19 being the way it is, unfortunately, we do have to have social distancing. We do have to wear masks. The Wearing the mask thing is not a big deal for me. It's having to police the kids when it comes to social distancing because where the tray drop is, there's it's just a little room where you drop your tray and your dishes off and you walk out. Yeah. So we're only supposed to have four to five kids, maybe max in there. They're like nine and ten of them. They're just piling in there and I've had to police them. I had to say, guys, you have to socially distance. You can't be doing this. I just reached my breaking point after five months of having to police them. I just looked at them and goes, guys... Like, seriously, come on. And I just walked in the kitchen, and I just, like, banged my head against the fridge door. I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous that we have to do this. <clears throat> you know, and I don't like being the bad guy. I don't like being the policeman out of when it comes to having to deal with this. But, unfortunately, when it comes to that situation, it's ridiculous. And it's like, guys, we've been at this for five months. What are you not understanding about this? You see the arrows on the floor? Deal with this. Yo, can you, like, hit them with a big old pool noodle or something? No, unfortunately, I don't think it's illegal, but it's definitely frowned upon to hit a kid. I know, I know, but you know what? I gotta respect the rules. You gotta respect the law. Exactly, you know, you gotta respect that. So the other only thing about this week that I could talk a little bit about is that even though a couple of weeks ago we talked about Dan O'Toole and Brett Wallace's dimiss dismissal from TSN, yep. I subscribe to Crave TV, uh -huh. the streaming service. And so, because one of the things I wanted to watch in there was a, T it was a TSN original series called Engraved on a Nation. So Engraved on a Nation, for those who don't know, is a series that TSN produced where they look at Canadian sports stories, whether it be, say... Donovan Bailey, he was a 100-meter sprinter back in the 90s. He won a gold medal clean. Jacques Villeneuve, who was a F1 driver. F1 guy, yeah. Well, the one episode I wanted to watch, and of course it goes back to wrestling, was of Kenny Omega. And Kenny Omega is from Winnipeg. He's, he's arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world over the last four or five years. I think Pro Wrestling Magazine has voted him that a couple of times. So they did an episode on that, and they talked about that. They talked about his involvement with Bullet Club and the Golden Lovers and all that cool stuff that he's doing over in Japan. Now, of course, this was produced before 
All Elite Wrestling started up, so obviously there's no mention of AEW in there. It's just New Japan and what he was doing there. Well, with Crave, they also had a series called Dark Side of the Ring, which I've mentioned, also another wrestling show. And so they're talking about another Canadian wrestler, Chris Benoit. And Chris Benoit, for those who don't know, he was a Canadian wrestler. He was from, I think he was born in Montreal, but he was raised in Edmonton. And he is most well-known for the murder-suicide of him and his wife and kid. And so they had a two-part episode about him to start season two. And there was one moment in that episode that just made me cringe. And that's when they're talking about chair shots to the head. And I can see you on the screen, and you're just like, oh, God, where are you going with this? So Chris Jericho, who's another Canadian wrestler, he was talking about how to take a chair shot. Basically, it's just, you know, you clench your teeth, and you tighten your neck muscles, and you just wait for it. That's what made me cringe, was to hear him just describe what it's like to take a chair shot. And I'm just like, how? Well, number one, how exactly a lot of these guys do not have CTE today? Like, when you look at, especially during the Attitude Era, when they were taking chair shots to the head, like, nothing, like, Mick Foley took 11 of them. You know, you see what the Hardy Boys were doing, the Dudleys, Edge and Christian, like, it's amazing. Like, the fact is that they are still, A, is still alive, and also they still have their smarts about them, too. Well, I always assumed that, like, with the chair shots and stuff, that those were done in such a way that, uh, they were taking the hit in a way that it looked realistic, but no actual harm was coming. But the fact that it was just, yeah, we're going to bonk each other over the head is like, oh, why? Yeah, and Jericho talks about that in the episode. He says that, you know, that was a source of pride for a lot of guys to be able to take a chair shot and not go down. And it's like, you know, when you watch, obviously go on YouTube, there's so many clips from the Attitude or guys taking chair shots, but there was one where... Steve Austin, I think, hit him, hit Jericho. He literally hit him. He bounced off the ropes and hit the ground. And I was like, that's very cool looking, but oh my God, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like to take that off the dome. Yeah, no, that, that's scary shit. It is scary shit. And, you know, and I was talking about this with a coworker of mine a couple of days ago about CTE and head injuries. And I says, I bet you anything because the NFL was obviously the number one sport when it came to CTE with a lot of the head injuries, but I, how much do you want to bet the next group of athletes is going to come from is guys in the UFC. When you see the kicks to the head, the punches to the head, the fact that when they go down, they keep hitting them. Yeah. And that's maybe that's, that's never what I liked about MMA is just like, because again, I grew up watching hockey where the second a guy goes down, you don't start hitting them. You wait till that guy gets back up. And MMA, that's the one thing that really turned me off on it. Where, And I know people might listen to this going like, well, Tay, how can that turn you off, but you can watch wrestling and feel good about it? Well, there's a big difference. Obviously, number one, it is, it's it's also physical, but also they're not like purposely trying to hurt each other in the ring. Like, as I put it, wrestling is athletic theater. Well, it's performance art at, at its core, right? Well, like with MMA, it's like, like uh, one of my coworkers uh, used to do MMA over in Thailand, and he's saying like, "Yeah, if you die, it's yeah, you died in the MMA ring." Yeah, and like guys would get gangrene and shit like that because the they aren't treating the wounds that well. 
because some of the stuff is above ground, some of it's not. And uh, yeah, I remember him saying like, yeah, I thought I was going to lose my life. Well, I remember I went to high school as a guy. I don't know if you remember Matt Piercy by any chance. Yes. Well, Matt Piercy used to be an MMA fighter too. He was over in like the Philippines and all that stuff years ago. And, you know, he was, the guy was in really good shape, but I just could not imagine going into the ring when you get kicked in the dome and you get concussed and you're knocked out and he keeps punching you. That's the kind of stuff that I'm just like, okay, so you have a problem with wrestling where they're not purposely trying to hurt each other, where the UFC guys are literally beating the shit out of each other every match and you have no problem with that yeah and actually it's like if rugby was bigger bucks i think rugby would have more ct issues than football because yeah i remember uh i think i watched taron play one rugby match i'm like after the first 15 minutes like i can't fucking do this because like those scrum scrums are violent Mm -hmm. like there's no two ways about it yeah, and they're wearing no padding, too. Yeah. No, like, I can do football. I, I can't do rugby. So, Tim, now that we... Got, now that I got that out of the way, talking about wrestling and UFC, let's talk about last week's episode, because it was a wrestling-themed episode. It was our third-line plug SmackDown episode. Now, I am... I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the opening of that episode, Tim, but... That was a lot of fun to put together, just for me, because as I talked about, like I grew up during the Attitude Era, and I remember when SmackDown first came out, and while I wasn't an avid watcher of Raw or SmackDown as a kid, because again, I was just a little, maybe just a little too young to really understand what was going on, but I always remember the video games, and I remember when SmackDown came out on the PlayStation, and I bought that, and I was like, this is so cool. SmackDown, the one where you can leave the ring and go, like, fight in, like, the offices and shit, or is that wrong? Yep. Uh, no, that was SmackDown, I believe in No Mercy, I think, oh, I think WrestleMania 2000 on N64, you can do that too, but No Mercy for sure, but yeah, SmackDown was the one where you can get out of the ring, go into the backstage area, go in the kitchen. Go across the street into the bar? Yes. <laughs> yes, like, you could go into the bar, you can go, and it's funny, because if you'd watched Raw or SmackDown, you could totally tell, like... These are obviously stages from those shows. so And that added to a really cool, very realistic experience when it came to the SmackDown games. And I recently went back and played the original SmackDown game. And I don't like it as much as I did in, as a kid. But then again, SmackDown as much as... Like, I, I did like SmackDown. I liked SmackDown the game. But I always thought... Obviously, No Mercy was way better. I thought WrestleMania 2000 was way better. And it's funny because I didn't own either one of those games. I owned, excuse me, WCW, NWO, Revenge. Also, that was found pinning in those games so janky. Yeah. Like, it just never worked, right? So it just turned into, like, 20 minutes of, like, four people running around punching each other. Because, yeah, the pinning was dumb and didn't make sense. So you just kind of... Just enjoyed punching each other until you got bored and turned the game off. Yeah, that was like... I don't know if you ever played WCW Nitro when that came out on the PlayStation. That's exactly what that was like. It was just like, eh, eh, you're just throwing punches. You might occasionally get a lockup and hit a body slam. But I was just like, this is stupid. Yeah. 
it's funny how a lot of those games, like, there's a really thin line between one that's really good and one that's just like, why am I here? Yeah, and there was a lot of those wrestling games back in the day that had that. I think Warzone had that, which I never liked Warzone. I know people who liked Warzone. I never did. I just thought it was a little too difficult to try and, like, make moves actually correct and all that stuff and the button combination. It was, like, basically playing, like, Tekken or something. It was, like, just a fighting game where you had to hit a button combination to make something work, where that's where I think Akai really figured it out with the pro wrestling games in the N64. It was, like, you tap A, you hit a, you know, you hit a hold, you hit B or one of the buttons, and it does something. That's it. And that's why I think those games have held up and are still beloved to this day. So let's talk a little bit about that episode in general. Because honestly, that was a pretty good episode. I thought overall, I thought our energy was really good. I thought just... The said sicko's train left the station. It, it was good stuff. It was so, so good. And our Bod McKinnon actually sent us, I think it's the Sen's Wiki... This ends Wikipedia on Senseko, and I I didn't get a chance to see it. So when I I did see it, but I didn't get a chance to click on it and have a look at it. So we have a wiki. I think we have a wiki. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I know he sent me something about it. So let me just have a look. Uh, yeah, I'll have to look in the episode later on. But overall, like, what did you think about last week's episode, Tim? Were you happy with it? Unhappy it's with happy it? happy the way it felt going down. Yeah, it's good. I mean, obviously, because the last couple of episodes, which were... It was good. Like, I'm not going to lie. But I think that that one was just from start to finish. It was really good. And obviously, I talked about the intro. That was really fun to do. So, you know, I always like doing the wrestling-themed episodes, Tim. Yeah, no, they're good times. Good times. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. But you know what, Tim? You know what's also a good time? It's segueing to this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So, Tim, we got to give a couple of shout-outs. First shout-out we got to give it to is to Boston Bruins forward Brad Marchant, who became the 208th player in NHL history and 7th in Bruins franchise history to record 300 NHL goals. Marchant, drafted 71st overall in the 2006 NHL draft, has 12, 10 goals, 12 assists for 22 points in 18 games for Boston this season. Marchand's such a weird player when you look at his stat line because... It took him until his, like, 27th year season to get a big point-per-game point season. Mm-hmm. But the whole time, he was still putting in, like, 20, 30 goals. Like, I, yeah, exactly. I think this 21, season... 28, 25. There's a 37 in there, too. Yeah, there's 37. But it was always, like, this kid is good. I always thought he was... I was always surprised, like, when he made that jump from, like, stable second-line guy to, like premier winger in the league like where the hell did that come from well i think he just went from like 64 points his 25 year old season to 90 yeah i think a lot of that had to do with playing in the world cup of hockey in 2016 because you're absolutely right like he went from being a very very good second line guy who very consistent point getter to now the guy is a tier two superstar when you look at his stat line in the nhl yeah 
like not many guys like just do a big jump like that into their prime. Because yeah, like like uh, before twenty eight, he had never scored. He'd never gotten more than sixty points in a. He just got over the sixty point line once. And uh, yeah, all of a sudden he's a 40, 40, good for forty goals in a season. Like what is that? Well, how much of that is really? him hitting his stride but also Boston now putting him in a position to do that because as again if you look back in those early years when you look at the guys in front of him like he played in front of Sagan he played in front of Nathan Horton he played on in front of David Krejci and these kind of players who were the offensive force on that team and now Horton gets traded Sagan leaves and now well, Horton got crushed exactly right? yeah in the finals and of course all that stuff goes down, and now Brad is counted on to become more offensively offensively minded. So I think a lot of that had to do, I think, also playing in the World Cup of Hockey, like I said. I, I've always maintained that really helped him quite a bit because that's when a lot of people realized just how good Brad Marchand really is as a hockey player. And that's so irritating for so many people who hate Brad Marchand as a player to see how good he was in that tournament. It's like... Fuck, I hate that guy, but man, he's a good hockey player. He went to the same middle school I did in Halifax, so I have to give him some respect. Really? Yeah, he went to Madeline Simons Middle School. Solid. We also got to get another quick shout-out, and this one's Ottawa Senators related. Ottawa Senators defenseman Thomas Shabbat recorded his 100th career assist versus the Calgary Flames. Shabbat, drafted 18th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2015, has recorded three goals, 11 assists for 14 points in 20 games for Ottawa this season. You know what's crazy, Tim? Yeah. Flames fans have no idea how close they could have gotten this guy. Because if you, he was doing an interview one time and they, he had said that the two teams that were prominent to take him was the Sens and the Flames. And what happened was the Flames traded away that pick. And they and Senators, they took him at 18, but they locked into him at 18 because, honestly... Don Sweeney. The Don Sweeney, right? With the Bruins having those three straight picks, and Jake DeBrusque is really the only guy that they really got out of that. Because think about it. Think if they got... Okay, say you get DeBrusque, but you get one of the, th- one of the three. Kyle Connor... Matt Barzell or Thomas Shabbat? The Bruins would be... Like, they are still a hideously strong team. But, like, their def- their left defense wouldn't just be a bunch of literal who's. Exactly. Well, especially with Tory Krug leaving, right? Well, I guess yeah. Tory's, a, Tory's right shot, correct? Yes. Okay. Even their right shot is... Dis- like, their right shot is really solid yeah. being headed up with Charlie McAvoy. Yeah, I was going to say, I... I totally for I, I didn't realize I I thought Krug was a left shot, but I didn't realize he was right. So yeah, absolutely. Like imagine if they had Shabbat on the left side, especially with when Chara leaves town. So now sorry gone. Exactly. So he leaves town, Thomas Shabbat can fill that spot at the number one left shot defenseman role. Yeah, that would be absolutely disgusting. I'm glad that never happened. Because right now their top defense, their top left defenseman is uh, apparently back in nine and is quite good. But like, yeah, before the season, I'd never heard of the guy. 
No, I've never heard of that guy before in my life, Tim. Yeah. So we got a huge story to talk about, and this is something that actually broke last week when we were talking about... This is like after top of the hour and after the episode was recorded, this story ended up breaking. New York Rangers forward and Temi Panarin took a leave of absence from the team after it was alleged he beat up an 18-year-old girl at a Russian bar in 2011. Said allegation is reported to be politically motivated by Andrei Nazarov, a former head coach in the KHL and joint coach of the Russian national hockey team. Now, the one thing I didn't add in the story, Tim, is that it just came out yesterday that despite this allegation against Panarin, they couldn't find any police report on this. And that I know sounds about right for Russia. And I know you and I, and I, and I think you should take the reins on this one because I know you and I were talking about this last week. Is that you were saying that Panarin, of course, he's anti-Putin and Russia, yeah. and this probably plays a lot into that, correct? Yeah. So it's no secret that the Russian government hasn't, or at least in the eyes of the Russian people, has not handled the COVID nineteen situation well, and that's put the Putin regime under a ton of trouble. And this has led to some massive reprisals, specifically against Alexander Nalvani. Uh, he was, he's considered to be a political political prisoner at this point under trumped up charges. And usually the state was happy enough to just, unless someone was actually going to get in the way of uh, the Russian oligarchs looting the country, they wouldn't move too aggressively. But the government's in a very unstable position where a lot of Russians are looking at the situations like, well, we don't, we're not getting freedom, we're not getting economic growth, and we're not even being kept safe from a virus that other countries have handled way better. What's the point? So now they're going after famous people who might be somewhat vulnerable. And what's interesting about this charge is that it's Russians making a charge about an incident that did not happen in Russia. If there was any likes to this story, Latvian officials would be making the charges. Yeah, because that was the one part of the story that I read was that the charge in general, and you're and you made the point already, but Latvian Latvia would have already mentioned because it was a claim that had happened in Latvia. But I know that Panarin, like this, affected him so bad that he ended up taking a leave of absence. But somebody on Twitter was mentioning this, and I think this is just another story in a long line of the New York Rangers in the news cycle. For the wrong reasons. And Panarin... This one isn't their fault. Exactly. And that's what I was going to get to, was that this is not the Rangers' fault, this is not Panarin's fault, because nothing happened. But when you look at how they handled the Tony D'Angelo situation, Henrik Lundqvist leaving, you know, you look at a lot of the news stories that the Rangers are involved in lately, it's hard to... It's hard to not include this. But I understand that the Rangers had no control of this, Panarin had no control of it, and it's just an allegation. But again... I've always said that where there's smoke, there's fire, but you're absolutely right. If there was a police charge, Latvian officials would have been the ones to be like, no, this is true. Yeah, no, there's nothing to this one. And uh, what's interesting about the Rangers, outside of Tony D'Angelo, it's like with the Lundqvist situation, you couldn't have kept, there was no real way to keep him around until the taxi squad solution was fixed up. But by that point, you needed... You needed the certainty of, yes, it's going to be uh, Shvetsnikov. It's not Shvetsnikov. It's going to be Georgiev and 
I'm blanking on the other goalie. I think you're right. I think it's uh, Shnoshnikov or whatever. Shnoshnikov, yeah. Shnoshnikov? Like, it, you needed that certainty. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, unfortunately, with Lundqvist's heart issues, that just compounded things further. So it's like, I don't feel too bad about uh, the way that uh, the... Sorry, it's uh, Igor Shetskirin. I don't feel too bad about the way the Rangers have been conducting themselves. So, Tim, you know what? It's funny. We were talking about, when we were talking about last week's episode, that it was a wrestling-themed episode, and we didn't have any head coaches being fired, GMs being fired. Now we have a head coach that just got fired, and it's because of the Ottawa Senators is the reason why. Montreal... Oh, we're going to get to that game. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, we are, Tim. Montreal Canadiens have fired head coach Claude Julien and associate coach Kirk Muller following the team's loss to the Ottawa Senators on February 23rd. Julien, who is in his second tenure as Habs head coach, recorded a 129-113-35 and 35 record over parts of five seasons, while Muller was in his fifth season with the club. Julien was replaced by Dominique Dursram. Durkheim, I think that's how you pronounce it. While Alex Burroughs was added to the coaching staff. So, Claude, Kirk, we just wanted to thank you for all your service and all the hard work you've put in being the coaches of the of the Montreal Canadiens. We hope for all the best. We hope you land at her feet. But, Claude Julien and Kirk Muller, you're fired! I think this firing's kind of dumb. The Habs team... It's improved, but you can't win if your star goalie making $10 million a year for the next few years is giving you sub-900 goaltending. Carey Price killed Claude Julien. Well, you know, you, you say that, but how much of that is on Carey Price and how much of that is Claude, Claude Julien lost on. the Habs? Because honestly, you, when you look at how... With the Max Domi situation, you looked at, you know, and you're right, Carey Price was below 900, but how much of that is on Julian? Because this is a second tenure, and the team just, just is like, yeah, we don't have to listen to you anymore because we're here long-term, and you're pretty much on the hot seat at this point. Well, the big problem with Carey Price is he's letting in goals he shouldn't. Like straight up he's getting killed on wrist shots he's getting killed on slappers and like the thing is is it's you saw the Montreal game where we chased we chased Carey Price and we got Claude Julian fired it was he'd make these heroic saves and then he'd bobble something stupid that's on Carey Price not being prepared and at some point you can't blame the coach for that especially when the Montreal team is and a Claude Julian system is generally quite favorable to goalies because the puck's on the other side and there's a defensive structure to maintain it. Problem is, is Montreal is... If Carey Price can't come back to form, Montreal is screwed. Like, it's a Bobrovsky situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, they can't even left, leave him unexposed in the expansion draft because he's got a nope. no movement, right? So... I don't know. I mean, this is tough because I always thought that Julian was a really good head coach with the Bruins, and I was kind of hoping he would do well in Montreal. But even if you look at the records of him in Montreal, outside of the first year there, and I believe the year where he had 
43, 44 wins or something, and they missed the playoffs in in, to, in general. Yeah, you well, can't. I think the thing it's good. He's, he's just never mm-hmm. been given a team, right? Mm-hmm. Like these Montreal teams have always been. There's where's the star power outside of Carey Price, and like what's interesting is Jake Allen in Montreal has been giving them very good goaltending. Point nine three. Yeah, and we'll talk about that solid in games too. Five and a very solid five. Five for five save percentage. That's why I'm put. I'm laying this one on Carey because he just hasn't been good enough. So I think with Claude Julien now on the market, I mean it'll be interesting to see where he lands because there's just not. It doesn't look like there's many coaches looking to be fired at this point. I know everybody's looking at Gerard Gallant, but I'm I'm still maintaining like he'll go to Seattle, and. It's going to be interesting which one goes to Seattle between Gallant and Julian because really on the market, they're two of the best head coaches right now that are unemployed. Mm-hmm. I don't think Gerard Gallant goes to Montreal if Ducharme isn't permanent because Gallant doesn't speak French, and that's not going to play in Montreal. That's a rule, and I don't know how you feel about it. I just feel like that's handcuffing the Montreal Canadiens is – you need a coach that speaks both French and English. And I understand that Montreal is, is a bilingual market, right? Given that it is a Quebec, it's a huge market for hockey. But again, I'm of the belief that you hire the best coach you can, not the one that speaks two languages. And I think when you look at their record, and again, I maintain this is why Kirk Muller has never been head coach. I maintain this is why Randy Cunningworth was never head coach in Montreal, even though he was named it, and then he got let go. Because, honestly, if you look at the lost number of head coaches, they're French-Canadian. Julien was that. Terrien was like that. And now, with this new guy who is clearly French-Canadian, I'm still of the belief that... I I get it for for, for the market reason, but to me, it doesn't make any sense when... Majority of your players are not French Canadian. Well, the problem is, is the coach is a PR position on top of managing your team. Like he's the guy who has to go out there and talk after to the media every game, and your fan base is francophone. You are doing a disservice to your fan your fan base if you cannot speak to them. So it's like it is an unfortunate situation that Montreal is locked out of a lot of. English only coaches. The only thing I can think of that would really help is if you could somehow for an off season do like in anticipation for the next season, do intensive French. You could probably get someone to competent if you drill them eight hours a day, every day for a few months. Because French and English are close enough that you could get someone to good enough with just beating their head over it probably get them with intensive French over a full, like it, like an off-season of intensive French and then maintain maintenance courses on top of that, you could probably get someone there. But I think it's if you're firing a coach mid-season, you don't have that option. You have to have someone who can speak French right away. Because otherwise you can't you can't talk with the fan base. Yeah, and, and that part I get. It's a massive disservice. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like That's the part, like I get that side of it, right? Because as you said, like Montreal's French, they're francophone majority of the fan base is francophone in quebec but i'm still of the belief that you don't need a guy that speaks 
both to be a good head coach, but I understand you do need that in Montreal because of how large that francophone community is. But it, that would be like in Ottawa, because Ottawa has a large francophone community, given that it's so close to the Quebec border. Mm-hmm. That would be like if the Senators hired a head coach that didn't speak both, right? And obviously Guy Boucher spoke both, Jacques Martin spoke both. And I get with DJ Smith. DJ Smith doesn't, from what I understand, I don't know if he speaks French or not, but... With Ottawa, you can get away with it yeah. a bit more. Yeah. Because a lot of the people who transplant to Ottawa from the rest of the country to work for the federal government are coming from Western Canada. They don't care. And I think for the Ottawa market, you can pick up French at a relaxed pace that a mid-season hire can be unilingual English. With Montreal, you don't have that option. Well, it's funny because I was thinking about this too, is that because there was talks about with the Sens, like a couple years ago when they had the new arena, was that there was talks of maybe putting it in Gatineau. Hmm. How much of that, say they put the arena in Gatineau, is the Sens now in the same boat as the Habs? Because you're not in Ottawa, you're in Quebec at this point. No, because the metro area for Ottawa is dominated by the Ontario side. Okay. So just by a population density. Yeah, if you build the arena in Gatineau, you're still going to have a majority English fan base. Just because the population in the area is majority English. Because if I remember correctly, it's 800,000 in Ottawa, 400,000 in Gatineau for 1.2 million total. Okay, so the Anglophone side of us still outnumbers it okay so tim we gotta that's not to say that the francophone fan base for the senators is immaterial it is not on the quebec side especially in gatineau aylmer and those sorts of it and all etc it's a very very passionate fan base on the other side of the river as well Uh, i've I've gone to bars on both sides of the river and watch games and it's it's a fantastic atmosphere on both sides and I think the Senators do a good job of cultivating the the Francophone fan base, but they could probably do a bit more. So, Tim, I know earlier in this top of the hour, we were talking about Henrik Lundqvist. And Henrik Lundqvist is in the news because Henrik Washington Capitals goalie Henrik Lundqvist has returned to the ice less than two months after having open-heart surgery. Lundqvist, who signed with Washington on, on October 9th, 2020, has yet to suit up in a game for the Capitals. This is awesome, man. I love this. Like, this is such a great story because, you know, Henrik Lundqvist, we've talked about him in the past, is that he will definitely go, in this generation, he'll go down as one of the best goalies to not win a Stanley Cup. That's not debatable because he's got the stats, he has the hardware, the only thing he doesn't have is a Stanley Cup. In the same way, like Carey Price. And I'm not saying that Henrik is going to come back and resume his NHL career because where would he fit in this system? Because you have Ilya Samsonov, Craig Anderson's there now. Henrik would be Henrik or Anderson would be a third wheel at this point in Washington. So who would you go with, right? Would you go with Anderson who has given Washington games or do you go with Lundqvist who had open heart surgery? He hasn't played. He hasn't been in training camp. You don't know where his conditioning is when it comes to probably not coming back this season. So you're right. You'd probably go with, Craig Anderson. So I think what will probably happen is that I wouldn't be surprised if like a rebuilding team or Seattle pulls him in to play backup minutes for next season. And I'd, I'd love to see him come back for one more. 
Yeah, just to get the swan song ready. That's it's all you need. It's just weird to think of him as not a Rangers goalie, eh? You know, it's weird to think of Craig Anderson not as a Sens goalie anymore, though. Yeah, no kidding. Now, Tim, we started off top of the hour by talking about the Ottawa Senators, and we're going to close by talking about the Ottawa Senators. Holy Ottawa crap. Senators forward Philip Shalapek was placed on waivers for the purpose to have his contract terminated. Said termination was a mutual agreement between Shalapek and the Senators. Shalapik, drafted 48th overall in 2015, recorded 5 goals, 6 assists for 11 points in 56 games for Ottawa over parts of 3 seasons. I'm sad that he didn't get more of a chance, but it looks like nobody wanted to give him a chance at the NHL, so he's going back home, which is honestly fair. It is fair, and I think for Shalapik, to me... He was never a sure thing. That was the number. This is why I'm not as sad about it. It sucks for sure because, you know, what we saw, he was a very talented but yet very young player. But the thing is, is that I wasn't as sad about Shalopek leaving. I was sad about Rudy Balsers. And you saw how Rudy Balsers has turned into a player at San Jose playing very well. Shalopek's just a guy, like, he was never a sure thing. You didn't really know what and where his ceiling was. You knew he was a very competent player, but even the minors, like if you look at him in, I wanted to say bingo, but if you look at him in Belleville, didn't put up great, like not, I don't want to say great numbers, but he didn't put up, she like 70, 80 points a season. Like he was putting up 40, 45 pretty consistently in the time he played there. So yeah, it, it sucks to see it because he was a very young player and he was from a draft that, Gave us Thomas Shabbat and Colin White. And given how deep the 2015 draft, especially that first round. I mean, we've talked about that with uh, when Shabbat was our cover athlete. And so, yeah, I mean, it sucks. But, you know, I hope for the best when it comes to him. And hope for all the best in where he fit, ends his career. Yeah, or or plays much. his career, I should say, not ended. Yeah, yeah, He's okay. still young. <laughs> mm. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to talk about the games. Now, we got four games on the schedule. We've got two games between the Canadiens and the Senators and round one and round two of the DeChuck Bowl. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, we got to start talking about the games. First game on the schedule, Canadians versus Senators. This is a 3-2 Senators overtime victory. Canadians' goals were scored by Nick Suzuki and Corey Perry. Sens' goals were scored by Drake Batherson, Josh Norris, and Brady DeChuck in overtime. Shots were 39-32 for the Senators. Nick Suzuki opens the scoring to make it one nothing Canadians, hitting the hitting the post and in. Drake Batherson with a toe drag scores to tie the game at one. Josh Norris scores to give Ottawa a two to one lead on a shot that flops over Jake Allen. Corey Perry ties the game at two, dancing around the defenseman, and Brady Chuck scores in overtime to give the Senators the W. So I did have a condensed watches. Now I talked about this on last week's episode. I was at my cousin's, just hanging out, whatever, socially distanced. One comment I do going to make, it has nothing to do with this game, and I know we talked about this before we hit record, about Philip Shalavik. Because, you know, they were saying that it was a mutual decision to terminate his contract. 
I often wonder how much of that is because we did not name him his, the cover athlete for episode 78. 100%. It's all, it's all because of us, guys. This is a game where Montreal just was not fucking in it. Like, they didn't come to play, and that overtime was a clinic. It was. Like, it was just end-to-end action with uh, with Kachuk, Shabbat, and Norris just absolutely dominating play, and they left poor, Montreal left poor Jake Allen out to dry. The only reason this game got to overtime is that Gabranson got fucking walked by Corey Perry. Oh, you if mean... If you're getting walked by a... whatever's left of Corey Perry's legs, you're not a good defenseman. Sorry, do you mean Eric Blonatire? Yeah, like, he fell down on the play again. Like, how has he not been sad? This is a player who is routinely destroyed at evens. Like, and I feel like he handcuffs Branstrom so badly. Yeah, and yet Branstrom's the one that gets put on Taxi Squad. Yeah, no, that that's fucking stupid. It is fucking stupid, but we do have a couple of really good notes about this game. And we're going to start off with Brady Kachuk. One goal, one assist on eight shots. You absolutely gotta love the effort he put in this one, especially in that overtime, because that was a classic Brady goal. Great second effort to put us over the top and get us the W. Well, it was just, there were a bunch of times where Brady just came so damn close to scoring. And Jake Allen bailed the Canadians out. He played a fantastic game. He did. And even in the condensed version that I watched, like he robbed Tim Stutzla a couple of times in that game. And I was just like, how? How did you do that? I understand Stutzla's 19 and he's just a kid, but man, like it's amazing how much he kept Montreal in that game. Like Norris's like tip deflection, whatever you want to call it, goal was so fluky because like Allen was in the zone. It comes off his head, kind of floats down into the net. Yeah, even the like, Josh Norris goal, too. was in the goddamn zone. Well, the same thing happened on the Norris goal, too, right? Was that it went... I think what happened on that one, I think it bounced off Norris, it went up in the air, and just flopped over him. Yeah. Like, it was just a weird... It was a weird, weird goal, but you take it. Uh, like, I loved what the Senators were doing this game. Like, they were... They were going into the slot with impity. Like, they were getting these beautiful looks right up tight in the net, and the puck... They were basically moving the puck at will while keeping Montreal largely to the outside. I actually, I did like this game and it's surprising. Sorry, I mentioned Shabbat, but I don't think Shabbat actually played. That's my bad. No, I think he was no, hurt. It was Brandstrom on the three. Was it Brandstrom on the, the overtime? Ye- yeah. Yeah. They actually needed, so. Or was it Riley? Uh, no, I think it was, I think it was Brandstrom. Yeah. Cause like, I'm really happy with just how mobile Brandstrom is, right? Like, that is a guy you can put out on three-on-three, three and the puck's going to go where you want it to go more often than not. Well, it's funny to talk about Brandstrom because the one guy he definitely reminds me of, he looks like a less explosive version of young Eric. If you watch how he skates, you watch how he moves, the way he handles the puck, it's amazing. And I know that in Eric Carlson is like next level he was next level good in his prime eric i say is not that good but he definitely definitely looks like a young eric carlson yeah no and uh pierre dorian got a 
a real good player in Eric Branstrom. It's amazing how the Sens fans have been able to accept Branstrom because Mark Stone was the one that went the other way, and Stone just got better as he went to Vegas and became the captain and, you know, signed the the big-time contract and got the endorsements and everything in Vegas. So I'm very ha- I am very happy for Mark Stone, but I think that Eric Branstrom is a guy who's definitely coming into his own. But I, I often wonder about, when it comes to Branstrom as a senator, how much of his legacy will be tied to the fact that they lost Mark Stone. It depends what Branstrom does. I think he's in a position to be a first or second line defenseman in the NHL. Straight up. And if he's a first, second line tweener, those are worth their weight in gold. And I think uh, there will be many, many, many amazing Branstrom moments that will endear him to Senators fans, especially with just how dynamic his skating is. It is. Like, the guy looks... He, he looks like a forward. He doesn't look like a defenseman because a, a defenseman looks kind of patient, always thinking, has to think two steps ahead because if you make a mistake, the other guys are going behind you and you, unless you're Eric Carlson in his prime, you're not going to be able to catch him. <clears throat> so there's a couple more players I do want to talk about. Drake Batherson's a guy we're going to talk about quite a bit in this episode this evening. One goal, one assist on four shots. The only note I have on him, and I mentioned this before we hit record, if you've ever seen old footage of Alexei Yashin in, say, the mid to late 90s, this is exactly what Drake Batherson looks like. He looks like Alexei Yashin when he skates and plays. He's so damn heavy, man. It's true. Even in that toe drag goal, you watch it and you're just like, this is Yashin 2.0. Maybe not as offensively talented as Yash because Yashin was very very talented but you just look at the way he plays the way he skates the way he moves he looks like a very young Alexi Yashin and it doesn't have anything to do with the fact they both were 19 well I think it's also like just Batherson does have a very nice set of hands on him and he's willing to go hard into the corners like I don't He's, I don't want to call him a power forward because he has this, like, the skill and the smooth skating to back it up. I think that getting Batherson as late as the Sens did is one of the steals that you absolutely have to make at the draft to be a top team. Yeah, it, it's, it's those kind of picks that you look at, say, the Andre Palats of the world or, you know, those kind of late-round picks, right? Even with the Ryan Dezingles, who is coming back this coming week. But... Very, very happy with Bastion. We'll talk more about him in this episode. Oh, yeah, as he's about to make sense history. Tim Stutzla. Four shots in this game. My head just can't comprehend this kid is 19 years old. He's maybe 175 pounds, 180 pounds, soaking wet. This kid looks like a legit NHLer at 19 years old. How many 19-year-old kids that aren't Crosby, Ovechkin, or McDavid come into the NHL at 19 and are this good. Well, the thing is, is he is demanding the respect of other teams. You heard uh, Claude Julien say that they have to watch out for Stutzla. You've heard uh, Paul Maurice say it. You've heard Travis Green say it. And Sheldon O'Keefe, I think, said it as well. Stutzla is a game player, and it's he's just going to get better as he gets stronger. It's It's insanity. Like, uh, he has continued exactly where he left off with the World Juniors. 
And the fact, like, yeah, Stutzler did it by himself in the World Juniors. This is not like that because he's got the Josh Norrises, he's got Bathersons around him. But the one thing that Stutzler really needs to just learn is how to finish. Because there's so many of these games that we watch, guys don't cover Tim Stutzler. They leave him wide open, and the second you leave him wide open, it's one of two things. It's going to go in the net... Or he's going to get an amazing shot that makes you think, oh, shit, we need to stop this guy. We need to cover this kid every chance that we see him. What's so bizarre about the Senators right now is that there's just this wealth of forward talent that we just didn't have last year. And it's just all these kids are really coming into their prime at once. Like, you got Kachuk, Norris, White, Stutzla, Batherson. Yeah. And, like, the only one who was even on the team last year was Kachuk because White was having just the worst snake bitten season I've seen. You bring in Evgeny Dadanov and uh, Nick Paul continues to blossom into just the absolute, like that absolute two-way player that you want in your middle six. And Connor Brown continues to be Connor Brown. And Chris Tierney. And Chris Tierney is, he's playing kind of in a role that really appreciates Chris Tierney's skill sets. If only we could just get, like, not bring freaking Michael Haley to play four goddamn minutes. No, and that's the thing I think that a lot of people on Sense Twitter are very upset about. When you play the Michael Haley's, you play... The Michael Pekka. Well, Matthew Pekka, I didn't think played a bad game in with what he played very limited ice time. I thought he didn't look too, too badly in the game he played. I apologize, I can't remember. I think it was against Montreal, but... You know, it's well, the one guy that we got to talk about later on was Austin Watson. Like, what is he doing still in the lineup? Like, is it against the fight against Lucic? The guy turtled. Like, Lucic grabbed it. It looked like when, if you remember, when Daniel Chara grabbed Ryan McCabe and just dwarf tossed him around the ice. That's what it looked like. Lucic grabbed him and just started throwing him like he was laundry around. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, as a, a fighter spark plug guy, once that happens to you, you're done. Like straight up. You could plug in other guys from the tack, like not even just the taxi squad, but from Belleville, not Bingo. Like you've got, you got Logan Brown. You've got Alex Formanton. You've got Vitaly Abramov. You could bring these guys up and slot them in. Hell, you could give, like you could give Parker Kelly a few rocks or Igor Sokolov. Like there's guys, and even apparently, Rick, really, Grieg is playing pretty well. Yeah. And, uh, keep wanting to say Bingo because Bingo is just such a much more fun name than Belleville. You know what's funny? Even like other sense podcasts, they still say Bingo and not Belleville because you're right. A well, you got to realize how long Bingo was the sense AHL affiliate. I I was you know it's funny you mentioned really great because I was gonna mention him too because he's a guy sense Twitter's very high on, and also is Shane Pinto. Shane Pinto maybe could be a guy next year that could make this roster core. But one guy you didn't mention, though, and he has yet to play a game, is Ryan Dezingle. Well, yeah, he is coming back, too. But it's just like, there's so many guys that the Sens can slot in that I think, yeah, it's time for it's time for Watson to sit. There's no reason to bring Michael Haley. No. And honestly, when does Gabranson fucking sit? Or we just shoot him out of a cannon. So the last guy I want to talk about was Matt Murray. 30 saves, a .938 save percentage. 
another solid outing for him in this game. And I know that later on in this evening, like we're going to talk about him and just be like, what the hell are you doing? But that's not that game. So I guess it we should... wasn't tested too... I don't think it was tested that hard. The only, like, the only goal that I thought was like, absolutely, holy crap, there's no way you're getting that, was when Gabranson got walked. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing you're going to do with that. Point. Yeah, because Corey Perry looked like Connor McDavid on that one. He just like, eh, he, around you, I scored. Yeah, no, it was it was something else. All right, do you want to go to the Sen Sickos game? Canadians versus Senators. This is a 5-4 to four Ottawa Senators shootout victory. Canadians goals are scored by Shea Weber with two, Jonathan Druen, and Tyler DeFoley. Sen's goals are scored by Brady DeChuck with two, Drake Batherson, Eric Branstrom, Josh Norris in the shootout, and Tam Stutzla! Also, in the shootout. Shots were... Th- make a drop clip for that. I know, but we don't do... We don't add sound effects until in post. That's the only thing. Shots were 39-36 for the Ottawa Senators. Montreal outplayed Ottawa for a majority of this game. Ottawa's offensive attack came out flying to start the game and didn't let up for the first 10 minutes, scoring twice. Montreal, while slow to start, got their offensive game going and were able to sustain it. However, it was not enough as Ottawa willed their way to a shootout victory. So the one comment, the first note we got to talk about, obviously, I talked about this with Chris when this happened. The Brendan Gallagher goal being called back in the dying seconds. You want to talk about an absolute backbreaker for the Habs. Because we lucked out. You're absolutely yeah. right. This is a sense sicko game. Tim. Imagine. Can you give me the, the ha ha ha? Ha ha ha. Yes. Or sorry, don't you mean we? Ho ho ho. Oh, that's but, so good. I love that. I love imagine that. Imagine a botched, like a questionably botched Toronto call. Call from the war room in Toronto. Getting a coach canned. Like, that is the epitome of sense sickos. But honestly, I'm a, I'm of two minds on this one. One, Matt Murray did have time to reset. Mm-hmm. Two, Brandon Gallagher does not get into the position to score a goal without interfering with the goalie. If Brandon Gallagher had, and I think that that was egregious enough to be a penalty. Yeah, because he skated through the crease. He was not pushed into the crease. Yeah, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I think because when he ran into Matt Murray, Murray like spun Sp- around. He spun yeah. her, like it did a full circle, and it just came out that he was facing the goalie by that, or the facing the shot by that point. So, like, if the logic from the war room is that that is such an egregious missed call, but we can't put tack the penalty on, but we'll kill the goal, I'm fine with that because that should that play should have been whistled dead. That was that that egregious of goalie interference. But Matt Murray had time to set himself back up. If that's not the logic, then it's a botched call. Is that fair? Very fair, honestly. And that's a play that I I didn't know where I really stood on that because you're right. Gallagher wasn't pushed into Murray. Murray, or obviously Gallagher skated into him. So that part, that's a goalie interference call. Absolutely, it shouldn't have counted. But also, I don't know. I guess in a weird way, it is kind of a gray area. But you're absolutely right. You did make a great point there where he skated in the zone, could have been considered goalie interference, but if you're, the argument is he spun around and he could actually set, reset himself, 
that's a botch call. I, I 100% agree with that. And it's funny, talking to Chris about this, and I'll just bring up this real quick here, because that was one of the first things I thought of, was, okay, I need to talk, reach out to Chris, see what he thinks. And I asked him, I said, by the way, what do you think of the Gallagher no goal in the dining seconds that would have given Montreal the W? And this is what he said. He says, tough one, looks like he made contact. So even Chris thinks that Gallagher did it. Well, the way that Gallagher plays, he doesn't get a benefit of a doubt on that one. And the goalie just doesn't fucking spin like a Beyblade on his own volition. No, it doesn't. And the funny thing is, is that you clearly see him hit the back of his skate and spin around. And that's like, oh. Okay, well, I've never actually seen it. Like, say if he, say if, like, Gabranson or somebody had, like, shoved him on top of Murray and the puck went in. Okay, I can see that. But, again, you made the contact. It's a no-go. Yeah, no. You could definitely tell Ottawa was running ragged by the end of the night. Mm-hmm. And this is another time where bringing Michael freaking Haley into the lineup to play five minutes really handcuffs you especially because Derek Stepan goes down. Yeah, apparently, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he's done for the season, correct? Yeah, and it's a shame because Derek Stepan was finally settling in. Or, no, sorry, or did I see him in these other games, if I'm not mistaken? No, he's out. He's out? Okay. I For whatever reason, I thought it might have been, excuse he's, me, Nick Paul. I think that's maybe that's what I saw. Okay. So I do have a couple of notes here about this game. We're going to start off by talking about Mr. Brady to Chuck. Friend of the show, future captain, two goals, one fight, some missing teeth on four shots. The guy was an absolute animal in this game, especially in that fight. Like, he did not let up. No. And it's funny because they were saying in the intermission that apparently Brady Kachuk's mom, like, either earlier that, that... No, they were talking with Brady earlier that day, and he mentioned that his mom was getting him on this case. He's like, yeah, we bought you this fancy fucking mouth guard. You don't wear it. You're going to lose your teeth if you don't. Gets hit in the face Okay. that game. <laughs> you know what's funny is the next game when he played Matthew, Gord Miller mentioned that. in the I think it was like the post game, and there's like, he's like, Gord, um, you know, Gord Miller says, Brady, your mom wants to know if you're going to start wearing your mouth guard. He's like, no, nah, probably not. Well, they're already gone. Exactly. Well, the funny thing is, is that when he got hit, the mouth guard was in there. So they were able to save the teeth and put it back there. And I just, you know, the great thing about his post game that night against Montreal was you literally see him just sit back. Yeah, guys, you know, um, I just go out there and play a great game. And, uh, he's still with the bike Tyson. Yeah, pretty much. You know, he's just, you know, missing teeth here. It was just, it was so great. And I just went, this is why I love this guy. Cause the guy loses four teeth. It looks like it doesn't even affect him. He just sits back in a chair, arms folded. It's just like, yeah, that happened. What are you going to do about it? I'm actually kind of impressed. It's like Derek Stepan actually got an assist, I believe, on the Bathurst goal before he was taken out of commission. And I've been really happy with Derek Stepan's play lately. Like, we're, we're starting to get what we were expecting out of Derek Stepan. It's going to, it's going to suck to lose him. You could tell that, like, Chris Tierney was... He was getting dog-tired by the end of it, and uh, he was victimized for three goals. And one thing the Sens were not doing a good job of was covering the points. 
because Shea Weber got two lasers off the point. Yeah, but in defense to our, in, in defense of the Sens on those ones, you got to realize that yes, even though Shea Weber got the lasers off, they were not like going straight towards the goal. They would have never hit. They it, had it not bounced off a defenseman or bounced off a stick and gone in. And talking about that, I do want to skip ahead a bit and talk about Matt Murray, who had 32 saves, a .889 save percentage. This is one of these games that, even though despite his below 500, or 500, fuck, can you imagine? Despite 900 save percentage, I actually thought he looked pretty, actually pretty good in this game. All things considered, given that the two Shea Weber goals went off a defenseman and in. Yeah, like, it's it's tough. Like, uh... You would expect Montreal to score two goals this game. Same with Ottawa. They get both teams get four. It's not it's not the greatest goalie game. Carey Price, on the other hand, he looked bad. Mm-hmm. Like he made like he made this crazy crazy save off of. I want to say like it was the power play goal on Batherson or sorry not Batherson uh, where Branstrom gets that beautiful laser. Mm-hmm. But it's like. He makes this crazy save off Norris, and he's but he gets himself so out of position that Branstrom didn't even have to hit it that hard. But it was a beauty goal nonetheless. Absolutely. Now let's talk about Eric Branstrom because, as you said, like with his beauty goal, that was his first NHL goal on five shots. I will say this: I don't blame him on the Tyler Toffoli goal. No, he was left. His defensive part, like Branson was doing kind of a half-ass yep. job. Yeah, blowing a tire, gotcha. And then he got then he got walked by Tyler Toffoli. Like, Tyler Toffoli's a damn good player. Very good, and he's been an absolute stud for Montreal. And that's the one thing, going back to when we had Chris on the show, that's the one thing I mentioned, was that Tyler Toffoli, we're going to really see what he's made of now, given that he played in teams like L.A., and Vancouver, which are not, which were not suited for what he played. Well, obviously in Vancouver he looked really good. He goes to Montreal. Now you're going to a team that's very offensive minded. So it'll be great to see him open up like that. Another yeah, friend uh, of the. Go ahead, Tim. I'm. I. I feel like Randstrom at least needed to get a bit of the body on, or even take the hook there. Yeah. I don't agree with him getting benched for the rest of the game, though. No, I don't, and that's. And you and I were talking about this before we hit record, was that we don't... I don't agree with this. I don't agree with Branstrom scoring a goal or getting an assist, but then he makes one mistake and you sit him. That doesn't... That doesn't have... That doesn't add confidence to a player. That basically says that you make one mistake. You fuck up one time, you're sitting on the bench and you're paying for it. And I understand that the argument behind, okay, young defensemen, they don't want to shatter his confidence. Sitting him in the fucking bench breaks his confidence more than anything. you got to let him make these kinds of mistakes and learn from them. What's he going to learn by you make one mistake, you sit down, and you don't play again? You know, and this is where it goes back to Erica Branson. Why have we not sat this guy? You were talking about this before we hit record. Like, how? Why? Seriously, he makes me look competent playing hockey. And I'm not in the NHL. Like, uh, my head literally hurts sometimes. Honestly, we should just start keeping a running tally. Like, how many times did Cabranson blow a tire this game? Oh, two, two. 
got it. You know what's hilarious? He, he does it way more than anyone else. It's true. Like, the only guy I could viscerally think of blowing a tire is Mark Borowiecki, and that's because the guy's skate broke. Yeah, even Brady to Chuck doesn't blow a tire this much. Yeah, I know. There is one funny thing I want to mention there about Branson blowing a tire is that our friends over at the Suns call-ups, they have the Sens bingo cards. So basically, like, they have a message board and they have the, the bingo cards made up so you can follow along during the games. And one of the squares is Eric Branson blowing a tire. And I think that's hilarious. I love that. Yeah, it's like, Branson isn't good. He's probably one of the worst sen- senators at actually playing defense. And that's saying a lot. Especially when you think of the Brian Lees, the Jared Cowens, Cody Cece's. But we're going to talk about a good hockey player, good friend of the show, Mr. Tim Stutzla. One assist on six shots. Had some Let's talk about that shootout Great, goal, great one-timers in this game. Debatably, Ottawa's best player in this game. Yeah. What? Very Honestly, debatable. Though, very debatable, but that shake and bake, holy shit. Oh, so good. So, so good. So good. Oh, my God. Can you imagine this kid in a few years when he's fully grown and he just starts lighting him up? Well, it's like you just have to watch him. Uh, like that, that shootout goal made Carey Price look stupid. Like he just got it right through him. Yeah. I mean, Stutzla... The only thing that could have made that goal better is if he did it between the legs like, say, Matthew DeChuck would have. Mm. Now, speaking about Matthew DeChuck, Tim, it's the time of the episode. We got to talk about a DeChuck Bowl. Flames versus Senators, the third game of the evening. This was a 6-1 Senators victory. Flames goals were scored by Milan Lucic. Senators goals were scored by Colin White with two. Drake Batherson. Erica Brett. Erica Branson. Every dog has their day. Connor Brown and Eric Branstrom. Shots were 31-30 for Ottawa. Ottawa outplayed Calgary throughout this game. Ottawa started off playing a really solid offensive game, which they would sustain throughout the game, as they were able to take the lead early and hold it to the W. Now, one guy that we talked about here just a few moments ago was Colin White. Two goals on four shots. The first goal, that was a total softy. Total softy. But, oh man, that second goal. Love it. You got Those are some classic goal scorers goals right there where you're just in front of the net and you just go, yep, it's in. Yeah, like he was celebrating before it even fully crossed the line because you knew it was going. This is a game where you could tell Calgary had played last night. Mm-hmm. Um, actually... For a team that likes to take a, a lot of stupid penalties, no penalties against the Senators this game. I know. The first to Chuck Bowl of the year, and there's not a single penalty. Well, apparently uh, both Matthew and Brady were getting tired of being asked if, what they're going to fight. I know. And even Matthew said in the post game, he's just like, that's really stupid. Why would we fight? Yeah, mom will kill us. I know. Can you imagine if, like, Matthew or Brady hurts the other and gets suspended? He'd be like, you hurt your brother and you lost money. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, 
yeah, no, this was a game where just Ottawa dominated from start to finish. Calgary just had no real energy. Um, this one did feel a bit like a Sen Sickos game, but I'm I'm not sure if uh, Calgary's coach is on a hot seat, so we can't claim this scalp. I know that's the one thing that since Twitter again talking about was it's not a Sen Sicko game until we get the coach fired. Yeah, and it's tough because like. I don't think there's any other Canadian coaches on the hot seat, even though Travis Green should probably be on the hot seat. Well, actually, no. No. That I, that team just has no talent. That's the th- yeah when yeah, and we talked. To, it's funny because Travis Green, you saw how much he's turned the Canucks around in the couple of years he's been there, and he has a no bullshit approach. You know, you saw it with Louis Erickson. You saw it with some of the players they've had in the past. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, no, I don't think Travis Green is on the hot seat. I think, honestly, if Winnipeg was in near the bottom, I think Paul Maurice probably would be on the hot seat. But other than that, you're absolutely right. I mean, there isn't really anybody on the hot seat at the moment. But there's a couple of players we're going to talk about. Now, of course, we talked about Matt Murray. we got to talk about him again. 29 saved, a .967 save percentage. He did his job. He did his job. He wasn't really tested. No. But you know what? And that's fine. I'm absolutely okay with that. You know, when you do your job and you keep us in there and you don't let in any soft goals and we get the win, I'm fine with that. Actually, this might have been a Sense Sickos game, a minor Sense Sickos game, in the sense that maybe we wrecked David Riddick's career. I think the one thing, I can't remember who it was. It wasn't like uh maddie go sends or one of these guys but they did a mashup of david riddick headbutting the door as it gets off the ice dude down with the sickness by disturbed oh yeah because riddick Funny. was pissed but then again if you let in the red line dump you're getting pulled like yeah. that's the rules yeah actually let's talk about eric brandstrom one goal and three shots again we, we i talked about this in the last game that i don't understand why they decide to bench him. He should have played more than 12 minutes in this game. 100%. He played more than 12 minutes in a lot of games. Yes, he made some mistakes, but again, you're not, you know, you're not really helping this kid's confidence if you're only going to play him 12 minutes and bench him after one mistake. Yeah, I know what. And it's like, I don't think Branson even really made any mistakes this game. Uh, he made a couple. He made a couple of mistakes, but the only thing is that it didn't go in the net. Yeah. And it's like, he's a, he's a fantastic defenseman. Just give him some rope. Like I think you can so. dial back Shabbat and Riley a minute, get yeah. Brands from to 15 at the very least. And, like, those guys are going to be more effective. And, like, honestly, like, I'm pretty happy with uh, Shabbat, Riley, Brandstrom. Mm-hmm. They've been playing pretty well. Okay. And then Zaitsev and Zub have been playing well enough as well. Okay, so do you want to talk about Thomas Shabbat? Because he had two assists in this game. Thought he really had a good game in this one against the Flames. Well, yeah. No, like, he was very mobile. It didn't help that the Flames came out like they just didn't care. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah I, I did like Shabbat in this game. I did too. And he, he, you see him playing a very patient game there. He's not... He's not like Carlson. The second he gets the pocky skates into the zone, he's definitely 
more of a calculating kind of defenseman and he'll definitely get the one-timers off from the point but he's not going to make the end-to-end rushes and he's not going to make a lot ton of mistakes or trying to take too many chances I should say offensively that it turns into defensive mistakes the only other player I want to talk about I would have loved to see him bury one against his brother Brady to Chuck with six shots yeah no kidding yeah, and going again as we talked about with uh, the Gord Miller comment that Brady's mom asked him about the mouth guard. That's funny. It's stuff. It really is. Yeah. Well, Ted, actually, I feel like we don't actually give Mike Riley enough praise because he's he's almost always on the right end of the puck. Eh? It, it's true. It's not like last season when I would praise. Riley and you were just like, oh come on, Tay, really? Like he wasn't that great, and I was like, he was all right. He was not a bad player. He did his job. Like he's, as far as actual positioning and moving the puck, he he plays well. If he continues to play like that, I think the Suns found a diamond in the rough. I think so. So, Tim, now we got to go to round two of the Chuck Bowl. Flames versus Senators and the final game of the evening. This was a 6-3 Flames victory. Flames goals were scored by Michael Backlund with two, Yusil Valimaki, Elias Lenholm, Sean Monaghan, and Andrew Maginapani. Sens goals were scored by Drake Batherson and Colin White. Shots were 38-34 for Calgary. UC Valimaki opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Calgary on a one-timer. Michael Backlund scores top corner to make it 2-0. Elias Lindholm scores to make it 3-0 on a softy. Drake Batherson scores to get Ottawa on the board to make it 3-1. Flames. Sean Monaghan scores to make it 4-1. Andrew Magalipani cleans up the rebound to make it 5-1. Colin White scores to make it 5-2. Backlund gets his second of the night to make it 6-2. And Brady Tuchuk scores with a classic Brady spin-around move to make it 6-3, to three, which would be the final. Okay, now look, I understand. I just realized this now. I didn't add Brady in the goals there, but that's okay. So, I did partly condense why. I watched the first period, and I gave up. This was a Goonie game. I just, I remember watching the first period just like, no, I'm not sitting through this. This is ridiculous. One guy I have to 100% shit on. Matt Murray. What the serious fuck was that? 27 saves, a .818 save percentage. Literally everything they shot at him went in. Like, is he going... This is one of these games that he went back to playing the way he did in that long losing streak where everything that threw at him went in. I'm glad that Joey Decord got to come out. And although he wasn't really tested, he came out with five, five shots, five saves. That's like that's a good relief performance at Joey Decord, but yeah, Matt Murray was it was a lot of soft goals too. Like it was like if I remember correctly, the Lindholm goal, he was just way out of position. Uh the Val Mackie goal was he should have had that. Mm-hmm. But like the Senders came out flat. They came they started coming on a bit in in fits and spurts in the late first, mid second, and then into the third, but by then the game was over. Yeah, this is one of these games where I don't have many notes on it. I do have to comment one thing about the Sens in this game is that all three of the goals were on the power play. Yeah, and, and this is for a team where the power play is garbage. 
So the fact that all of our goals came on the power play, I consider that a really big improvement for the Sens. Well, what's funny about the Ottawa power play and just even Ottawa during that losing streak in general is they could not buy a goal. The actual underlying numbers were solid. Like, but if expected goals turned into actual wins, Ottawa would be in a much better position. And, like, the power play was especially victimized. And I think uh, the way they're lining up the power play now with uh, PP1 being Batherson, Shabbat, Dadunov, Stutzla, Kachuk, that's scary. And then your second power play is Branstrom, Norris, Paul White with visits from Anisimov and Connor Brown. That's, that's pretty good. But, like, Dadunov, Stutzla, Kachuk, Batherson, Shabbat is that's a scary power play. It is, and the fact is that this is such a young power play, too, that, you know, it is going to get better. It's going to get better as we go along, and this and this team and these kids get way better. So the two guys I want to talk about in this game, of course, I just mentioned them. Brady to Chuck, one goal and three shots. I love the term classic Brady goal, because that just sums it up in a nutshell right there. It's so greasy, man. It's so greasy. Now, the other guy I want to talk about, and this is a guy that we've talked about quite a bit on this episode, friend of the show, Tim Stutzla. One shot, or sorry, one assist on five shots. Again, I'm always amazed how young this kid is, and that shot. Just, man, this is almost like watching a young Mary Hosa all over again. Because Hosa just was so electric. I see a lot of hosa in him yeah and it's funny because uh, it's it's such a fluid yet aggressive play style and yeah i definitely see like shades of marion hosa in there i also see a bit of daniel albertson i can see that the fact that, that he actually goes into the corners he doesn't just he's not like heatley that just waited in front of the net for like say yeah. spats or albertson to give him the puck and just wires one right but I would say, you know, for a young kid, I don't, I can't even recall the last time a Sens rookie has come into the lineup and just been as good and as productive as Tim Stutzla. Like, top of my head, I can't even think of the last guy that we had on this team. Maybe, ah, uh, fuck, I think he might have to go back to Hosa, really, Hosa or Martin Havlat, because honestly. I can't think of another rookie that came into the Sens organization that has been this good, to be perfectly honest with you. Maybe, like, there's the first year Dag was electric. Yeah, that's true. That is true, but I was going to say... Same with the first year of Yashin, but... Yeah, I think... Yashin got better, that's the thing. Dag never did. But I think for me, I would have to say probably... Hosa. Probably Hosa. Hosa or Martin Havlad. It has to be one of the two. Well, it's like Ottawa hasn't really had like a super big rookie since. Like even Eric Carlson's rookie year was a bit muted. I would say probably Alfredson, to be perfectly honest, was the last time we've had a rookie like this. Or Spets. Even Spets, like Spets never really lit it up the way he did yeah his first full season he did in 0506 but even as a rookie like he was playing in front of he's playing behind guys like mike fisher and radic bonk and some of the more veteran guys on the team mm-hmm. so 
I don't know if I would completely agree with that assessment, but Spets definitely definitely looked really good in his first full season for sure. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, sorry, just a unrelated note here. I know on last week's episode was it last week's episode or the week? No, it was last week's episode. I mentioned uh, the least DJ that used Dead Mouse and Avicii. Arbon Adam actually reached out to me and said that he used to work with Leafs DJ Kale Granton. Nice. Yeah, so that's awesome. So shout out to that guy, man. No kidding. So Tim, I really don't have any more comments to make on these games if you just want to head off into the close for another evening. Yeah, I think that's good by me. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I... Love recording them for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8 WYTE Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you have a suggestion for who the most dominant sense rookie is that wasn't Alexi Action or Martin Havlat. Choose an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so we got three games to talk about this week. We've got Sens play the Flames in Ottawa Monday night. Tuesday, we are in Montreal to play Le Canadien. And Thursday, we are in the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta to play the Calgary Flames. So does that mean I just stare longingly at the saddle dome from the sea train yes and you need to have a sense hat and a foam finger going yes ha 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 but also wistfully as I can't actually watch the game oh oh that's what a downer to be up this jeez well anyway <laughs> until next week guys I am your host Taylor Gibson and this is Big Tim go sense guys